0: Hey Bridgetown, John Mark Comer here. I love and miss you all. I'm counting the days until I can at least wave at you from six feet away. Hey, we have a few more pastoral words for you before we kick off our spring practice on simplicity. On that note, please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Are you ready for all of this to be over and for things to go back to normal? Are you sad? or angry or anxious that it is likely not anytime soon? If so, you are not alone. I am 110% with you. Over the last week, a number of people have basically said to me, okay, that was fun, now I'm done. For some people, COVID-19 and the stay home order was suffering overnight due to the disease itself or to a lost job or a small business under duress or the loss of a plan or a dream for 2020. But for others, in all honesty, it was kind of a sabbatical and a welcome break from the hurry of life. But even that latter group are all kind of over it. A lot of people are lonely And even more people have the opposite problem. As Matt Labash put it in an opinion piece a few days ago, I can't wait for social distancing to end so I can be alone again. He was naming what couples and families in particular, but also roommates, are all feeling right now that pent-up sense of angst from over a month at home with the same people 24-7. My poor wife is having to double as my Therapist and spiritual director and workout partner and sous-chef, and on a regular basis, the victim of my bad mood or my ire. But I can't think of a more opportune moment in my lifetime for spiritual formation and especially spiritual formation in the home. On that note, let's work through our text. 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 down to verse 9. Verse 1: Peter, an apostle of Jesus the Messiah to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus the Messiah and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Try starting your email off with that. He goes on, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice Peter's language of a living hope. That was the subject of last week's teaching. We define hope as the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God that in Peter's language are, quote, kept in heaven for you and for me. Meaning, yes, we have hope for this life, but as followers of Jesus, the trajectory of our hope is over the horizon in the life to come, and nothing can take that hope away from us not a global pandemic, not a disease, not death itself, definitely not unemployment or the loss of a dream or a plan. And in all of this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Notice that adjective, great, not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice. In Greek, actually, it's one word, and one lexicon defines it as to experience a state of great joy and gladness, often involving verbal expression and appropriate body movement. It's that feeling when you have so much joy just throbbing in your spirit that it's like it has to escape out of your body in laughter or singing or dancing or just a hoot. You
1: greatly
0: rejoice, though now take a look at the second half of verse 6. For a little while... I love that phrase, that turn of phrase. For a little while, you may have had to suffer grief, a lot of us are in that right now, in all kinds of trials. The Greek word for trials is parasmos. It can be translated trial or test or temptation. It can also be translated disaster. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it's used for a plague. But Peter writes all kinds of trials. He's not referring to one in particular, but to the many trials we all go through in life, some more than others for sure, but all of us, from a global pandemic down to a minor irritant. But he goes on, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness, or that can be translated authenticity, of your faith. Of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, hit the pause button for a moment. Peter is drawing on a well known metaphor from the ancient world, and that is the metaphor of metallurgy. In the modern world, fire is a metaphor for passion. In the 80s or 90s, when somebody was zealous for God, we would say, you know, she's on fire for God or he's on fire for God. More recently, when a performance is full of emotion, we say it's fire or we all know about the fire emoji. But in the ancient world, fire was not a metaphor for passion but for purity. More specifically, it was a word picture from the art of metallurgy. Unlike today, where most of us don't even know where the objects in our home come from, people in the ancient Mediterranean were far more aware of where and how things were made, as most objects were made by hand and within a small radius of travel. Up until very recently in our own nation, there was a blacksmith in every decent-sized town. And metallurgy in the ancient world was an art form, First, the craftsperson would heat up the metal in a crucible, which was like a container to hold the metal and all of the heat together. And then they would keep it over the fire until the metal was molten. Then all of the slag that was in the metal from the very beginning would come to the surface. Slag is anything that's not supposed to be there. Another type of metal, debris, air pockets, any kind of impurity at all. If the metal was a precious metal like gold, which in the ancient world was the most precious of all natural materials and, interesting to me, the most pliable of all precious metals, then the metallurgist would pour the gold into a mold where in time it became what the artist had in mind from the very beginning." It comes as no surprise that the crucible or the container used to refine precious metals has long been an apt metaphor for the role of trials in our spiritual formation. In fact, if you look up the word crucible in Merriam-Webster, it reads, one, a vessel used for melting a substance that requires a high degree of heat, two, a severe test, and three, a place or situation in which concentrated forces interact to cause or influence change or development. Trials, like the one that we're in right now, are a crucible. They put heat, so to speak, under us and get our soul into a state where it's far more malleable and mutable. They also, though, bring the slag that's under the surface of our life to the top, to the forefront of our relational life. All of the impurity comes up. And in doing so, they refine our soul and reshape it to fit into a new mold, which for us as apprentices of Jesus is the life and teachings of Jesus himself. Now, back to Peter. Peter is saying, Not only can we live with hope for the future, that was last week's teaching, as if that's not enough, we can also live with joy in the present, even if we are in the middle of a trial, because all kinds of trials, major to minor, have the potential to forge us into people of faith. In fact, he goes on to say the crucible, quote, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah is revealed. And to clarify, scholars argue it's praise, glory, and honor for us, not for God. How crazy is that? Verse 8, though you have not seen him, God, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe or you trust in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation or the healing of your souls. The long-term result is praise, honor, and glory, but the short-term result is threefold. One, that we become more loving. Trials have the potential to forge us into people of compassion more than anything else I'm aware of. Secondly, trust, that word believe is better translated trust. Trials have the potential to forge us into people with a deep level of trust in God who are free of the illusion of control and who live with kind of a calm flexibility and serenity and who are kind of at peace whatever does or does not come. And three, that we become people of joy. Trials, as again, crazy as it sounds, have the potential to forge us into very happy people. You can forgive Peter for writing about the crucible of a trial in such effusive language. And we are all in a crucible right now. And if you think about what fire does, it intensifies what is. It makes the good better, and it makes the bad come to the surface. It's a dopey analogy, but every Friday afternoon, T and I collaborate to make the exact same dinner for Sabbath. We made a homemade kind of spicy sweet potato soup with um, homemade sourdough bread. And as we get to work, we time the bread to come out of the oven right as Sabbath is starting, so it's hot for dinner. But we, our goal is to get the soup on the stove as early in the day as possible because the longer that it simmers over the fire or the heat, the more flavorful, the more spicy, the thicker, the sweeter that soup will taste to the mouth heat makes a good thing even better. But the heat also has an alter effect. If there's something that should not be in that pan or should not be on that stove, within minutes we start to like smell a burning odor that's just gross. It has both effects. This is what's going on in relationships in homes all across the city. What is, is intensified. On the positive side, A lot of families are in a really sweet season right now. A lot of couples are realizing just how much they love each other and how grateful they are for marriage. And on the other hand, in China, for example, the moment the lockdown ended, there was a spike in the divorce rate, a significant one. And all over the world, reports of domestic violence are up. Here in Portland, it's up 27% compared to the same time last year. Again, fire intensifies what is. It makes the good better, and it brings all of the badness to the forefront. In my home right now, We're having some of the best moments we've ever had as a family. We got an unexpected uh, $500 check for something a few weeks ago and we made the decision as a family to support local businesses, or at least that's what we're calling it. So once a week we have takeout night and we order takeout and we eat it together as a family. This last week, Jude had a wacky idea to all of us via YouTube learn our own dance move in private, and then come to dinner for a dance-off party competition. It's not surprising. Not only did I lose, I was in last place. But it's just, uh, there's some really, I think we will talk about this, even though it's not fun, but I think we will talk about this for decades to come. But at the same time, I'm more irritable and grouchy and on edge, and in all honesty, unkind, than I have been in many years. It's all stuff that's in me. It's not new, but it's intensified by the stress of COVID-19 and just by feeling on top of each other as a family. Like week one or two is kind of fun, and now we're like six weeks in and ready for it to all end. And it's brought to the surface of my heart the injury that I'm causing, particular to my wife and my firstborn son who bear the brunt of my anger and my irritability, and my unrealistic perfectionism and my obsession and futile striving for control, all of which does great harm to the people I love. I'm very aware of the slag right now on the surface of my heart. I'm very, wow, that's there. And that's a gracious, vulnerable, beautiful moment for me in my spiritual formation. And I'm guessing I'm not alone. The question is, with all of that kind of slag, so to speak, at the surface of our relational life or our emotional life, what will we do with it? Or better said, what will we let God do with it? Will we let God forge us into people of love in the current season? This could be the greatest moment for spiritual formation in the home that we will ever have. This could be the defining moment or the turning point in a marriage gone awry. This could be the healing breakthrough in a relationship between a parent and a child in our own soul if we stay with God in the crucible. Now, next, rather than me keep talking, we wanna hear from a few people in our church about how they are navigating relationships in the crucible of the stay-home order, be that marriage or family or singleness. One of the things that I missed most right now, and I'm an introvert, is just seeing all of you, at least across the room. So we thought it would be fun for you to see and hear a little bit of wisdom from a few familiar faces in our church. To start off, here's Gerald and Jenny Griffin.
2: Hey everybody, I'm Gerald and this is Jenny Griffin, and we've been married for 21 years.
3: And we wanted to give you a little glimpse into our quarantine life and some of the things that we've been learning during this season. Like all of you know, this season has been full of the unexpected. Our two out-of-state college kids had to abruptly leave their schools to come home, and we've had to navigate having a family of five again under our roof. I started a new job, Gerald's schedule got crazy. We got a new cat. We got a new cat.
2: It's been a lot of changes. You can only imagine what could possibly go wrong during this quarantine shut-in with all of those dynamics. So what's uh, been difficult for us in this season has been communication, not only as a couple, but as a family. Um, You would think because we're around each other a lot and we're having a lot of conversations, communication would be good, but that's not necessarily true. Um, As an example of that, last weekend, we set out, all five of us, to go outside and we had a massive conflict of what our agreement was about wearing masks outside.
3: So, I can be hyper vigilant and ultra conscientious while Gerald is a little more laid back and relaxed. And while we know this about each other, sometimes it gets a little tricky to navigate. I decided that all of the family members needed to have masks and we would wear them every time we left the house.
2: And uh, we got in the car to go to the destination. It was going to be outside, mind you. But as we got in the car and we're traveling there, we realized not everybody was on the same page. So, we had a five person Spirited discussion about what we would do when we got to our destination and wearing masks.
3: Our son Simon made the great point that if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So we decided to try that. We needed to make some house rules regarding chores, saving money, family scheduling. So we had a family meeting and the girls wrote down all of our goals and what we wanted to accomplish who did what chores, taking shorter showers, that kind of stuff. And when we were done, we pinned it to the refrigerator so that everyone could see what they had agreed to.
2: And that was super helpful as a family to get on the same page together, write it down. And then one of the things that Jenny and I um, have realized again as a couple is that we need to make time for just the two of us uninterrupted 15 to 20 minutes of talk time. We were actually super good at that before the COVID and the move and the kids coming home. And we've had to reclaim that.
3: We've had to be intentional about our scheduling And another thing that we've realized is really helpful is over-communicating.
2: Yeah, so our Bridgetown team, our leaders here, have decided that we were gonna give each other grace for over-communication in this season. And Jenny and I have started to put that into practice in our marriage as well. Um, We decided we're not gonna get frustrated with each other if we have to remind and clarify several times. And honestly, in our relationship, we have a pattern of where Jenny will communicate something to me And she thinks the message is received, and then later on, I don't follow through, and she's like, wait, I thought we had an agreement. So even just the other morning, I woke up, and there was a to-do list of several things that we had talked about the night before, and Jenny was like, hey, can you do one, two, and three? And my first gut response when I saw that was, I was annoyed. I was like, we already talked about this. And then Jenny sweetly said, but remember, we agreed to over-communicate. And I said, you're right and thank you. So that's been super helpful, and hopefully uh, these things will be helpful for you as well. Also in this season, as a church, we are offering the marriage course, which is an online course for couples. A lot of you are like us. You're um, in quarantine and stuff in your marriage is coming up. And this could be a great way to process it together and grow as a couple. If you're interested in that, sign up. It starts online this week. And next up is our friends, the Collins, sharing what they're learning in this season as a family.
4: Hi, I'm Tristan Collins.
5: I'm John Collins, and we have two boys, nine and six, which means we're parenting young kids during quarantine. And what we found is that parenting young children is already really hard. In fact, I've been told that it's one of the most difficult times of a married life. And now we're doing it during a worldwide health and economic crisis. I am an optimist, and so I thought coming into this situation that Uh, it would be maybe easier. Our schedules are freed up. We got a lot more time on our hands. We could maybe make this whole experience really great. But all of these external pressures and all these new emotions has actually made it really difficult to parent. And we've been making a ton of mistakes. And so Tristan wants to say a few words about how to deal and embrace the mistakes that we make as parents.
4: Mm -hmm. So right now, the Collins family, we have a lot of big emotions in our family, and we are all struggling to be kind and patient, including John and I. So right now is a great time to let go of the illusion of being perfect parents, and we're all flawed humans, and we all desperately need God's love and grace. So this is a great opportunity as parents to just show our kids how to Um, Mend relationships, especially when we're dismissive or just mean to them. So here's our strategy. First, wait until everyone has calmed down um, before you start problem solving. So for us, it might mean um, seeing if you need food or rest or exercise or just a personal timeout. And once those basic needs have been met, um, here's three principles. So the first one is just acknowledging what you specifically uh, did wrong in the situation. So instead of saying, I'm a bad mom, I'm a horrible person, just saying, you know, I'm really sorry that I yelled at you or I'm really sorry for saying that you're acting like a baby. Uh, So number two, allow your kids to express their thoughts and feelings about the situation. So validate their feelings. it's important to just give them a voice of just how they've been affected. And number three, just empower them to call out your hurtful behavior in the future. And the beauty of all this is that it helps them to learn that you don't need to be perfect or you don't need to pretend to be perfect. And um, the conflict can also bring repair and connection. And lastly, they learn how to be um, assertive with authority figures who misuse and abuse their power.
5: Another really practical thing that we've been doing at home is something that I've done in work for a while. It's an exercise called four helpful lists. It's a way to get all the ideas out of your head and out of your heart and organize them. And so we've been doing them as family meetings uh, for Tristan and I bring the boys in and try to categorize everything in these four buckets. What's going right, what's going wrong, what's confusing, and what's missing. And uh, if something's going right, double down on it. If it's wrong, try to fix it. If it's confusing, that's a great time to dialogue about what is going on underneath this issue. And if it's missing, it's something you can add to your family rhythm. Every time you can just take a few things from that list and work on them during the week. It's called four helpful lists. Hope you find that useful. Now we're gonna hear a few thoughts from the Davises. Hello, my name is Morgan and this is
1: Karen. We've been married for 31 years and we attend Bridgetown. This is our home church. Um, It's a privilege to share with you uh, today a little bit about our marriage and what's been going on in this season, especially some difficult things that have been kind of coming up in this COVID season. Now, believe it or not, we're still wounding each other, unfortunately. Now it's not intentionally. However, it still happens nonetheless. And so the hopeful part in all of this, however, is that we're choosing to work through the wounding, um, which has not always been the case in the past. Now, it seems like the season that we're going through is kind of like therapy in a way. Um, It's difficult, and yet it's very meaningful. And it's kind of like, in other words, um, when water recedes from the shoreline, you begin to see rocks and all these things underneath the water surface, and so that's what this season's kind of been like. We're seeing rocks, we're bumping into them, we're getting hurt by them. Um, However, we do love each other, and we're for each other, um, but we still hurt each other. So what do we do now?
6: Well, so super quick backstory is that the first six years of our marriage were really rough, and both of us were desperately lonely. And we got some emergency kind of help to kind of keep things together right then. Um, But it followed with lots of years of just getting by. The way we would describe it now in hindsight is we were probably, the goodness of our marriage was probably about 75%. So if we're in school and we just took a test, that's a C. And we were not really happy with that. Um, So if you are watching this in that sense of feeling lonely or having a very mediocre marriage resonates with you, we just want to say there's hope.
1: Now, part of the hope is... To develop some skills and one of the skills that we feel like we are developing is this idea of confession. Now confession meaning to tell the truth, to tell the truth about how we're feeling, to tell the truth about how we're doing on the inside, to tell the truth about how the others hurt us um, or rejected us in some way. And so by telling the truth it just gets things out on the table that we can work with and it allows us to repent, to seek to understand, to give forgiveness, Um, which always leads to healing and transformation. Mm
6: -hmm. Yep, and one form of confession or telling the truth is acknowledging the hurts in our marriage. And for me, it took quite a few years to be able to say that and to be able to acknowledge that the wounding in our marriage hurt me. So I was thinking that I needed to just move past them, but in reality, I needed to move through them. And I got some help with a wonderful therapist, and um, she helped me work through those things but I couldn't just do that on my own because of the wounding was in our marriage and so I had to bring that to Morgan and we had to work through that together because not only did I need healing but our marriage needed healing
1: yeah so practically confessing being truthful with each other is one part the next is just to desire to fight for the marriage I think there needs to be I hope there is in our marriage a desire to fight for it um And so years ago, um, we made the determination that we were going to be for each other, that we were going to lean into this marriage and fight for the marriage because we really wanted it and we desired it. We were unwilling to skate through the next decades of our life at 75%. We desired a deeper marriage that had more adventure, had more life in it. um, And that's what we wanted for each other.
6: So then the question is, how do we know we are for each other? What has worked for us is to agree to have hard conversations. Neither of us has the freedom to check out either emotionally or physically when conversations get vulnerable or hard, but we really need to stay in the conversation. And another example is to let go of the tight grip we can often have on a feeling, on a memory, on an experience that happened that has been painful, but to open that up to try and look at it a little bit different, to see how God might see that experience, for Morgan to see how I might see an experience, and for me to see how Morgan might see an experience.
1: Now, the next practical step is to determine to actually when we discuss these violations or hurts in our marriage. Um, And a good skill that we've learned is what we call invitation, Um, meaning it's far better to invite the other one into a conversation rather than demanding it in the moment. Um, that doesn't work too well, I don't think. Um, but usually when we're confronted by an eruption, like in a volcano or something, um, it's done with way too much emotion and way too much energy gets put into the conversation and defensiveness just uh, goes rampant. So what we've done is we've decided to practice the skill of addressing our problems with, with each other through an invitation, for example.
6: Yeah, so an example would be honey. When you said that last night, it really hurt my feelings and it embarrassed me. And I would like to talk about that. Can we talk about it tomorrow?
1: Now, it's important to accept the invitation and to show up. We don't want to forget that part, of course. Um, but this has been really important to us. We've found significant healing in, the, in, in these steps of confessing, um, to fighting for this marriage, because um, we're for it. Uh, the practical stuff of addressing the violations at a time when each of us is ready to actually have a conversation. Um, One thing that we're going to be doing, which we're excited about, is the marriage course. It's coming up soon. We've already signed up for it, and we're excited about this this course coming up. So we hope you can uh, join us there.
6: Yeah, and we wanted to finish by saying that every marriage is so incredibly important. It's important to you. It's important to your kids if you have them, to your extended family, and to your community. So pour into it. Um, Sometimes therapy, individual therapy, or marriage counseling is just so helpful in getting to the next step.
1: So in closing, we find encouragement in Paul's words to the Corinthians in the second book when he talks about God who raises the dead. Uh, which in our opinion includes lifeless marriages, as he has done with us. Paul continues, for it is on God we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver
7: us, and he has. So here's a word from Jaron. Hey guys, my name is Jaron, and I have to say what's been the most challenging thing for me in this season has definitely been isolation and loneliness as someone who's single and lives by uh, on my own. I was actually talking to my therapist the other day and he said in order to manage the virus well, um, a lot of suffering is caused and I couldn't agree with that statement more right now at this point because for someone like me who's an extrovert who loves being around people and relegated into my little studio apartment, it has been really challenging and this unprecedented time has actually brought up a few really key things in my heart. And to be honest with you, um, it has brought up my wounds more than any other time but also a sense of opportunity to grow and be formed in a profound way. And when the Zoom calls are over, when I get off the phone with my family in Hawaii, and the aloneness really begins to set in, the question that keeps stirring in my mind is, will I erode in this season or I actually be refined? And that question has come up, especially when I'm alone and when the day is done. And what I mean by erode is like stuff like envy and comparison on social media and looking at people's circumstances versus mine. I tend to get like just the insecurity really fills up. Um, Old temptations start to rise to the surface. And even honestly, a sense of deep discouragement in some moments. But um, coupled with that are also moments where I really feel like uh, God's refining graces on my life in this season. The first thing has definitely been my Bridgetown community triad. Within my big community, there have been a two, uh, two guys in my group that have just been a huge source of regular confession and prayer and accountability that has been so life-giving for me. And this is definitely something that um, I've been able to receive hope and share hardship with. Um, and so my encouragement here would just to be um, to lean into community at this time. Like Bonhoeffer once said, No new creation can grow as an isolated individual. We need community. So my encouragement to you would be to lean in. Secondly, the church structure that we have here, coupled with the Sunday gatherings and the online virtual prayers, and even the church rule of life has really been something that I personally have been nourished by. And specifically for me, as the person who leads youth here, I have never been more grateful for my youth community and my youth leaders. The mutuality of ministry, meaning this just a sense that all of us are partaking or sharing in a sense of love and healing and community has never been more apparent to me. And thirdly, a life of the saint. Um, Honestly, in this season of life, I have reached out to my elders and asked for their wisdom and guidance um, in a lot of ways. And specifically reading through the lives of people who really follow Jesus in crazy high and hard times and in beautiful and wonderful times and clinging to their stories has easily been a lifeline for me during this time. I think of my mom, my grandparents, uh, even people on their staff that I've been able to keep in touch with and really cling to in this time that's just unprecedented, but also at the same time, something that we will get through together. So my guidance to you in this space would be to reach out to your elders or to a story or a biography or something that would keep you grounded in the sense that God has guided people and he will continue to guide us.
0: Wow, a lot of wisdom in there on how to navigate relationships in the crucible of the stay home order and COVID-19. To end, relationships in general and marriage and family in particular are the crucible in our spiritual formation, whether in good times or in bad. It's easy to forget that due to the romanticism of Western literature ever since Jane Austen, God bless her, and Hollywood's fantasy vision of love. But marriage and family are the two hardest things most of us will ever do. But it's in relationships, and I mean long-term, in-depth, interdependent relationships. That we grow into people of love. As Joseph Hellerman put it in the opening paragraph to his book, When the Church Was a Family, which is hands down the best book I've ever read on community, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together, or we do not grow much at all. The gift of the stay-at-home order is we have to stay. There is nowhere to go. So Bridgetown Church, I am asking you to stay, not just at home, but with each other, with Jesus with the crucible, with all that is at the surface of your heart right now, stay with Jesus in the trial and with a smile on your face. Not the false violence of positivity, but the joy of the Spirit of God. As another New Testament writer put it, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters or family, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work. Let the stay at home order finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. As you know, we are nearing completion on our building renovation project right here in the inner east side of Portland. And we hope to move in as soon as possible, um, depending on what happens with this whole coronavirus shutdown. But without having Sundays um, gatherings, we're a little bit vulnerable financially. So for those of you who are part of Bridgetown, thank you for your continued giving. And if you're not part of Bridgetown, would you consider giving above and beyond what you already do to your local church? We would love any kind of partnership towards completing this building project. You can find out more for that or give online at our
1: website bridgetown.church/giving